I'd love for you to turn with me to Luke 10. Um, and before we read anything from there, I want to share something with you that um, I've been kind of praying through in this past uh, week and a half, two weeks. As I was praying for this upcoming year and praying for you guys and praying for uh, the church and where we're, where we're headed, it's always good to stick your head up every now and then and, and take, take stock, right? Um, we've said it before, but God is not constricted to our calendar. He doesn't say, oh, the earth went around the sun one more time, time to do something different. Um, his kingdom marches on and he's doing what he's been doing. Um, but it, he uses seasons and he uses times for us to say, hey, where are you going? Are you heading in the direction I've called you to? And I believe that God's been building something these last three months in our church. Um, and, and I pray that that's something that we're not uh, taking for granted what he's saying to us and what he's doing. Last week we talked about um, having that resolve that God gives you that, that just doesn't just say, well, it, it, maybe it'll happen or maybe this will, will come out this way. But choosing and, and making that decision and saying it's the power of God through me that's going to get it done. But I'm taking, a, a, I'm swinging my leg over the boat. I'm stepping across the line and I'm going to say, God, I'm all in. Uh, but I was praying about this year and about our church and um, the Lord just began to paint a picture and it was cool because sometimes, you know, when you're praying, God gives you a picture and it's instant. You just see it right away. And then other times he gives you one picture and then he builds another layer and another layer and it may take days. And, and I don't know why he, he does that. I guess because sometimes we just need time to process one layer at a time. Or maybe it's just that in the act of unfolding it, we just sit back in amazement at God. Uh, but I was really praying about this city. You know, I, I know that there's some people, they've got, you know, they'll say, I got a word for the world right now. <laughs> 2019 all over the world. And praise God. God gives some people, God has called some people to speak to, you know, like everybody all at once. Um, but my heart and the grace that's on my life at this season of our life is, is to pastor. And so while sometimes you can look and you can see and, and you can, we can all look and see what God's doing around the world, where my heart is, is right here where God called me to. And so a lot of times when God's speaking to me personally, um, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, you guys in Africa, this is what God says to you. And you guys in China, this is what God says to you. Really, if the Lord's speaking to me about somebody else, it's usually about right here in Lloydminster. My heart is for this city. And so I was praying about Lloydminster. And I know you guys do too, right? I mean, you pray for your city, Yeah. Uh, some of you are from Macklin, Onion Lake, or different places, but we pray for our city. And uh, I saw a picture of, of two walls, and, 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 and it was like one wall was the wall that we put up, and inside that wall was the kingdom. But when I, when we, when you, you know when God gives you a picture, you don't just, he seems to give meaning to it, even though it, you know, if you were to draw it for someone else, they'd say, I don't know how you're getting that. But when you see it, you know what it means, right? And it was like the kingdom was not static, it was fluid. And there were these retaining walls all around it. And then there were walls that we didn't build, someone else built on the other side, and it was to keep themselves isolated. It was to keep the kingdom in. And I saw a picture of, a, of us believers breaking down the wall we put up that kept the kingdom in one place. And when that wall came down, the force of that water, the force of that kingdom broke down the wall that everybody else put down. And I just, so I started to pray about this. I thought, God, what does this mean for us? And, 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 and what are you trying to say through it? And, uh, you know, there are times when God just 
graciously, and sometimes he, maybe he talks to you very sternly, or maybe he talks to you very softly. It's just different seasons sometimes. He's always good. He's always loving, but sometimes dad needs to say something in one way, and other times he says something in a different tone. Um, and so I don't know how God speaks to you, but I know that throughout this week, um, I, 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 I realize, or he, he kind of opens your eyes to some things, that without knowing, I put restrictions on the kingdom of God because I, we're all comfortable with boundaries. We like boundaries. We like defined boundaries so we know where everything is, right? Because if you know where everything is, when the lights are off, you can still find stuff, right? But God didn't call us to live in darkness, he called us to live in light. That, that light, you can't have the light without having the presence of God, without having the spirit of God. See, walking by faith is walking with the spiritual lights on, right? We're called to walk in the light. So the reason we're so comfortable with set boundaries that don't change is because we want to turn the lights off and still know where stuff is. But God called us to a spiritual life where even when the lights are, are off in the world, the lights are on with us, and we're watching him, we're walking, we're le being led by his voice, we're being led by his eye, we're being led by where he's going, and not just where we think stuff is. And so I saw, when what I saw, I just rejoiced when I saw the believers, and specifically, because I'm a pastor, I, I'm specifically seeing the believers here, but I believe it's believers all over Lloydminster, begin to knock down their wall that kept the kingdom in defined places and when that happened the kingdom invaded everything else and that's really what we want in this city right it's the kingdom of God invading it's the kingdom of heaven invading the earth and let's talk about this for a minute uh, there there are some terms that I want to bring up to you and remind you of think of the term the God of this world the ruler of this world the prince and the power of the air who is he referring to in the scripture when he uses those phrases Satan so he's talking about authority that the devil has on the in the world. He calls him the God of this world, little g. He's not big G. He's little g. But that means he's running things. The ruler of this world. He calls him the prince and the power of the air. That could be discouraging if you didn't know who you were. Right? You'd be like, oh, gee, I just, I, somebody told me the devil's a toothless little punk. And, and he's got no, well, he is. But we've given him some dominion here on the planet. And the Bible actually tells us that the patterns and the rhythms of this world, the paths that you walked in, he says, we were formerly darkness. We walked in darkness. And when you're walking in darkness, you think you're making your own path, but you're actually walking on a path that's already been laid out. And it wasn't laid out by God. It was laid out by the, as the scripture says, the prince and the power of the air. So that's not fun. He's basically saying the rhythms and the patterns of the world aren't of God. The rhythms and the patterns of the world are of another kingdom. In fact, actually, I'm going to correct that. The Bible never calls Satan's domain the kingdom. He always calls it a domain. Now, there's a difference. A domain comes from the Latin word dominos, which means someone has control or lordship over something. But it's not lord as in God, lord. It's just a boss. So a domain is somewhere where you have control. But a kingdom is somewhere where there's a king. And as much as Satan wants control, he can never be a king. He can never be the king. He never has the right to it. So there's, he's a warlord. That's all he is. 
And the world has been operating according to his system. But when Jesus came to the earth, what did he say? The kingdom of God has come near to you today. The kingdom of God is at hand. In fact, John, before Jesus stepped into his ministry, John said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here. It's near. It's coming. And when Jesus began to do his ministry, he showed them what that kingdom looked like. I'm reminded of what Paul said. You know, Paul had some, some um, negative Nancys or whatever you want to call them, false apostles that were talking about him and trying to tear down his ministry. And they said things like, you know, <laughs> that uh, Paul, Paul served his time. He served you for a while. But we're your apostles now. They had, they had said, you know, he's real tough when he writes letters. But if you notice when he comes to you in person, he's a bit of a wimp. He's soft. He's, he's not very powerful. They said these things about him. And he said, I'm going to come check out these apostles, so-called in quotes apostles. I'm going to check out these guys that are trying to take over your church. And he says, but when I check them out, I'm not going to listen to their sermons. He says, I'm not going to listen to their words. I'm not checking out their words. He said, for the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of words, but it's a kingdom of power. He said, I'm going to come check out the power. Now, what does that mean? The power. Well, I mean, we can, think of, we can think of the obvious stuff like signs and wonders and miracles. Paul said, in, in the, he said, in the power of signs and wonders and miracles, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, which tells us that when we fully preach the gospel, there's stuff that happens. But we also know there's power in the message of the gospel. There's power. How do you know that a message has power? Lives are changed. Lives are transformed. Addiction is broken. Discouragement is broken. Despair is broken. There are things that shift. There are hearts that turn. There's, there's, there's habits and cycles that get broken and people get set free. That's how you know there's power in the message. So if we just become a group of really good communicators who can preach really good or, or write really good or sing really good, and, and then we just all come away saying, mm, that, was, that was effective, that, that, that pumped me up, that gave me energy, but there's no change, there's no shift, there's no power in it, then, then it's not really God that's moving. It's, it's, it's us that are moving people's emotions. And so what do we want? We want God to move. We want God to move in our hearts. And as much as I say I want God to move in my city, God won't move. I mean, I won't see God move in my city like I want to see it until I let God move in my heart. We've heard the scripture in, in the book of Acts that says the word of the Lord was growing mightily and was winning in their city. That's in Ephesus. I don't know if you remember when we went over and, and did a, a, like a three-week study on Ephesus and that city was messed up. It was perverted in a lot of ways. It really mirrored our society in a lot of ways, but a little bit worse. You know, we all, we all just, you know, we like to think of the good old days and we say, well, things are getting worse. I don't know if it's ever been this dark. It has. It's been messed up, guys. And the church prevailed. And the word of God prevailed and gospel prevailed. So don't get scared. Don't let Facebook scare you. Right? Your friends that are, oh my goodness. Right? And you just get freaked out and you just, you're, you're panic, panic liking something. You know, I don't know what you're doing. Shocked face or whatever it is now on Facebook that you do. <laughs> and, and there is, um, there's, there's almost a, 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 an imposter anointing, if I can use that word. Um, a, a false anointing on that sense of outrage and panic and anger. Because it riles you up. 
But there's a difference between a righteous riling and a reactive riling, a panic, a fear. God's not working in fear. So there will be times where he raises up his church and says, you guys need to wake up. But you're responding to him saying, wake up, instead of just responding to, oh, no, I saw a news article. CNN is not your God, right? Fox News isn't your God. Uh, The rebel media is not your God. Whatever you're looking at on Facebook, that's not your God. God is your God. And so we're reacting to him. So he does, the church does need to wake up. And the church in Canada is waking up, praise God. We just just set the date in March. We've got a friend of ours, uh, Brother Rob Parker, and I wasn't even the one that set this meeting up, but they asked if we could host it. Uh, Rob Parker's the head of the National House of Prayer in Canada and uh, doing an awesome work there. Um, we get to see him once a year at our CFCM conference. And um, man, th- this is a guy that's got access regularly, him and his prayer team. They're in the House of Commons regularly, invited into places you shouldn't be invited into, speaking the word, praying the word of God. And he's, uh, God just put it on his heart to do a tour of Alberta and stir the Christians up to pray before this election. And uh, man, that's awesome. Because let me tell you something, the last election, and I'm not telling you, we're not talking about the results, but let me just tell you something. When those results came in, a lot of people were shocked, and I was in a cabin with a bunch of young ministers, a lot of them from Alberta. And I turned and I said, did you guys vote? And they're like, we didn't think we had to. Because it had been this apathy of everything being the same. Now, I'm not telling you one party is God's party and one party is Satan's party. I wish it were that easy. It's not that easy. Um, but parties aside, we need to be praying. Yeah. Especially right now. And this is a pivotal time for, this, for, for that province right there. So we just set up in March. We're going to be part of that tour of Alberta. And, and Lloyd Minster is going to come and pray for that province. And, you know, the question was, are Saskatchewan people going to come too? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we don't like, I live two blocks away from Alberta. I don't really care. No, it affects us. Right? So I got off on a rabbit trail. But all of those, when we understand that the Satan has a system. The, the world system is not God's system. In fact, James says the wisdom of this world is earthly, it's natural, it's demonic. See, we think that common sense is good, but actually the scripture says common sense can be demonic. Uh, we need to have his wisdom and not just the earthly wisdom. And so here's the deal about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is the rightful rule of God. And there will be a day, the Bible tells us there'll be a day when that is fully over all the earth and Jesus is ruling and reigning. And every knee is going to bow. At this point, we're not at that point where every knee has bowed yet. We're not at that point where he's ruling with the rod of iron and yet he is still ruling and reigning and his kingdom is on the planet right now. I love reading uh, stuff about the resistance in World War II. Like, you know, the French gave up really fast, really easy. Um, and they set up a, a Vichy government. They set up this puppet government in France that the Nazis were controlling. Uh, but still in France, even though we, sometimes people make fun of them for surrendering a little too fast, uh, you gotta give it to some of these French folks because there were some French folks that resisted the whole war at great risk to their own lives, they resisted the Nazi occupation. And it's kind of cool to be part of the resistance. And it's kind of cool to be part of a kingdom where the rightful king is returning. But he put us here 
And he says, rule and reign. He says, establish my kingdom. He says, spread out to the left and the right, the north, the south, the east, the west. Spread out. Don't spare. He's talking about a kingdom that is meant to infiltrate. So when we talk about a wall that contains the kingdom, that's not a wall God put up. The church, the Bible describes the church as a body, but also as a, a building. And he talks about being pillars and supports. And so we know the church has got structure to it. But when you hear Jesus talk about the kingdom, it's never just staying still. It's never static. It's always moving. It's always active. In fact, he says something interesting. Uh, he, he talks when, when John's disciples came to Jesus and said, you know, are you the one? Jesus said something that we often overlook. He said, from the day John started preaching until now, the kingdom of God has been forcefully, forcefully advancing. There's, there's been force to it, which is interesting because when I read that, I used to always read that and just say, the kingdom of God has always been forcefully advancing. But he didn't say that. He said, from the time John started preaching until now. That's not a long period of time, guys. There's this, there's this moment, and he says, and forceful people are seizing it. Now, a lot of people read that different ways. Some people think that people are trying to force themselves into the kingdom, and as bad dudes, and they're trying to take it by violence or by force. Uh, and, and I can understand how you'd get there, but there's actually a, a, a parallel gospel. When Luke, uh, when, when that's told in a different gospel, he, he says something similar, but he, he also talks about the fact that, that we're part of it. He seems to encourage the seizing the moment. And so I used to think that when he said violent people are taking it by force, those were bad guys that were trying to force themselves into the kingdom. But how many of you know you can't force yourself into God's kingdom? He doesn't say they're trying to take it by force. He says they are seizing it. So here's how I read it. You can read it different, but here's how I read it. The kingdom of God, from the moment John started preaching, repent, the kingdom of heaven is here. From the time he started preaching until now, the kingdom's been on the move. It's been forcefully advancing, and it took some people to say by force, to forcefully go and say, I'm going to seize on this moment. I'm not going to sit back and wait for it to overtake me. I'm getting in on this, and I want to be part of that. I want to read you something that I told you to turn to in Luke chapter 10. One more question about walls. If you saw two armies, and one, is, one has walls and one doesn't, which army is on the attack? The one without the walls. Which army is about to seize new territory? The one without the walls. Which army is probably more afraid of the other one? The one behind the walls. So when we put up walls to protect the kingdom, we're acting in fear. When we want to keep people out, when we're worried about encroaching influence, we're worried about the world getting too close to us, we're on the defense. But you see, when I read the book of Acts and I read about those Ephesians, the world was worried about the gospel's influence on them. The, the people that were making idols were worried that the church was growing too fast. Uh, it, it's, it, Jesus talks about, in fact, we talked about him calling Satan the ruler of this world. He said the ruler of this world has been judged. If anybody should be afraid, it's not you. And so here's what he says in Luke chapter 10. Verse 1. 
After this, the Lord appointed 70 others. He sent them out in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. How many of you know that as much as we talk about 12 guys, there were a lot more than those 12 guys? And uh, though those 12 were meant to be the apostles that governed the church in its infancy, Jesus didn't just empower 12 guys. And there's a teaching that go, has gone around that said all, this, all the miracles, all that stuff was just for the apostles and no one else. Well, these 70 folks weren't all apostles. You can look at guys like Philip in the book of Acts. He wasn't an apostle. We see people who are called to different areas of life, but they're all called to ministry. They're all called to proclaim the kingdom. He sends 70 out by pairs. How many of you know it's good to have a good buddy? Right? It's good to have a friend. It's good to have somebody that will encourage you. It's good to have somebody when you agree in your living room, we're going to go tell people about Jesus, and you get out of the car, and you're freaked out, and you want to find 10 reasons to go back and, and, and just stop at McDonald's. It's good to have a friend that says, no, we're doing this. We're doing this. He sent them out by twos. And he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So the problem isn't the harvest. We're always blaming the harvest. We're blaming the field. But he says, it's just that we just need more people out there. He says, therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Well, thanks, Jesus. That's peppy. <laughs> I mean, come on. You're supposed to tell us we're lions. <laughs> right? He goes, he says, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Okay, well, I wanted to go five minutes ago. <laughs> Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. What? Leave your wallet at home. Why? Well, we, up to this point, they've just, they've followed Jesus around. When they needed food, he made it happen. When they needed money to pay taxes, he said, go catch a fish. There's a coin in the mouth. Like, they had depended on the physical presence of Jesus to tell them what to do. And now he's saying, I'm going to teach you how to trust me because I'm not always going to be with you this way. I'll always be with you, but not like physically here. So you're going to have to learn how to trust me radically. I'm going to send you out and you're going to learn to live by faith. Okay. So they did. He says, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Don't keep moving from house to house. What did he do? What are they doing? They just started a little church, basically, at this guy's house. As you start at this guy's house, and this family says, you can stay here. Keep telling us about the kingdom. And then their neighbors come over, and then their neighbors come over. And pretty soon, you got a little home group in your house. And he says, they'll feed you as long as you need to stay there. And here's what he says to do. He says, whatever city you enter and receive you, eat what's set before you. And heal those in it that are sick. Just, he doesn't say, heal the people that deserve to be healed. Or he doesn't say, heal the people who have acceptable illnesses. Or heal the people that got their life right. He just says, heal the people in that city. So what's God saying to us in Lloydminster? Do you think he's saying, heal the people in the church? Sure, why not? But, but do you think maybe he would say to us, hey, where did I put you? You put me in Lloydminster, sir. Okay, heal the people in that city. That's uh, right. Okay. Yeah. Now, not everybody wants that. But there's going to be people of peace mm -hmm. that know nothing about Jesus, that know nothing about you, 
And when you go and you proclaim the gospel and you bring your peace into that situation, the peace that comes from Jesus Christ, and that peace enters that war zone, and that peace enters that chaos, then there are going to be people that say, I don't want anything to do with you. And there's going to be others that say, you're welcome here. And he says, your peace will stay there. Wow. Heal everybody in that city and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. I love that. See, what have we said so often? We haven't said it in these words, but we've basically said, come to the kingdom. It's good here. Come to the kingdom. Come to the kingdom. But Jesus is saying, tell them the kingdom came to you. The kingdom came and visited you. What are you going to do about it? Your sick were healed. Your demon possessed were delivered. The kingdom has come near to you. How are you going to respond to that? Well, if we get like, 500 more postcards, and we'll send it all out, and we'll invite them. Well, yeah, there are scriptures. Jesus talks about inviting people. He talks about inviting people to the feast. There were times he invited, but there's also these times where he sends out, and he says, bring the kingdom to them. They don't know. They don't know their right hand from their left. Bring the kingdom to them, and they'll experience it. We talked a few weeks ago about the power of being a people who live in the presence of God. And how when you encounter that for the first time, there's nothing like it. I just think back to the first time you really experienced the presence of God. Whatever that looked like. I'm not saying there's one set way. But when you really, that first time you knew God is in this room. Or God is in this car. Or God is in this forest. Or whatever. You knew the presence of God. Think about how you just, in that moment you said, what in the world can match this? Everything I've been chasing has been just a cheap replica of this. Think how it changes you. Now think, think about some, some of you who maybe you came from a totally, you, you didn't know anything about God, you didn't know anything about church, you didn't know anything about people like this, and you stepped in and you felt something. You're a little weirded out at first, but something's different. Think about how that affects you for the rest of your life. Because you can't just say, well, they, they, have, they have some good points. They made good points that day. You experienced God. Yeah. And that's really hard to deny. Yeah. And when the sick are healed, that's really hard to deny. And when the, when the oppressed go free and when the blind can see and when the addicted are set free from that addiction, when all of these things happen... Like I said a few weeks ago, you can't, it's not about saying, how can I believe this? It's, it's becomes, how could I ever deny this? And that's the kingdom. The kingdom is the king showing you that there's a new system, there's a new way. And that there's power in that kingdom. So we were part of a domain, a control of darkness. But now we've been rescued and transferred into the kingdom of light and the kingdom of his son. That's a beautiful thing. And I love how Jesus told the disciples just to walk around and find places and bring this kingdom to them. The kingdom was not stuck. It wasn't within well-defined boundaries. It was leaking into the world, if I can say that. It was invading the world. Jesus compared the kingdom. He said, the kingdom of God is like yeast. It's like a little bit of yeast. You stick it in the, in the dough and it leavens the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Do you love that? He, he's saying 
I don't, I don't even need a lot. I need like three people to go into a, a, a large group and watch what happens when the kingdom takes over. He said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's really small, but pretty soon it's going to take over the whole garden. Birds are going to rest in its branches. Now, I don't know if you've seen a mustard bush, but that's not like a mustard bush I've seen. It's a different kind. It's a super, super bush. (laughs) And when we talk about Lloyd and Macklin and Onion Lake and Paradise Valley, and we talk about Maidstone, and we talk about all these places that God is is at work in, I'm, I'm invigorated. I'm pretty excited about the idea, again, of us not putting boundaries where the kingdom can show up. Yes. You know, Nick and I had a conversation when we were setting up. Uh, we were working on some sound stuff here at the church, and, and Chance was with us, and Chance had some back pain, and, and um, he, was, he was, you know, doing some things to kind of correct it, and the doctor had given him a report. And, and so, you know, we, we were just like, you know, encouraging him in the Lord. God can do this. And, and, but we were, we were task-oriented, you know? We were, we were doing stuff. We were busy getting stuff done for the Lord, praise Jesus. You know, we were doing it for you. We wanted things to work, so we were working on stuff. And we went home, and we had this conversation of like, why didn't we pray for chance? We're telling them about what Jesus can do. Hey, buddy, believing with you. I'll keep you in my prayers. He's right there. But it's not Sunday. And there's no, there's no piano playing. I can't pray for somebody without piano. Who do you think I am? Like Jesus just had one of the disciples walk around with a little, you know, a little guitar. Put the warm pads on. Oh, that's the glory. I feel it. We, could have, we were just right there. So we were texting back and forth of like, you know, don't. I mean, just how dense can we, how dense can I be? I said, but, but the reality of the matter is I've had plenty of those times where we get so focused on a task that we forget that God's at work in the middle of our tasks. And he's more excited about that than he is about you getting stuff done for him. And I, I'm reminded, and we talked about how Jesus was okay with being distracted or pulled away from his task like all the time. When he had set meetings, people got healed and and saved and delivered and all of that. But how many miracles in the Bible, how many miracles in the gospel, most of the coolest stories that we all tell each other about Jesus walking on the earth, the coolest stories happened when he's on his way somewhere else. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Samaria. He's on his way to get Wherever he's going, he's on his way, and someone stops him and bugs him. And what are the disciples usually doing? Leave him alone. They're keeping schedules. They're setting boundaries. They're saying, don't bug the preacher. He's not, it's not meeting time yet. And what does Jesus say? Hey, come on. Come on, come on. There was an annoying blind guy who's like, son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples said, quiet down. And Jesus says, bring them to me. And, and read the story in the Gospels. They go, they do a 180, and they go, oh, come, dear sir. <laughs> the rabbi is calling for you. I'll take you. Like, they act like they're on his team the whole time. Hey, VIP status, come on. But previously, they're just like, shut, you know, don't... Don't make me get bouncer disciple. Bouncer disciple will take care of you, you know. They really want him to be quiet. 
Because they're worried that people are going to mess up God. People are going to mess up our meeting. There's one moment where the kids rush the stage. It's not actually a stage, but whatever it was. A rock that Jesus is sitting on if, if the paintings are to be believed. Right? Where German Jesus is holding a baby, right? Our great Aryan Lord and Savior. So Jesus, wherever he is, the kids want to come, and the kids are disruptive. That's why we kicked him out of this meeting. Right? No, we didn't. I'm only, I'm only joking. I'm only halfway joking. Kids want to see Jesus. Well, there's, there's going to be a meet and greet, a shake and, shake and howdy after. There'll be selfies with Jesus later. But they want to go in the middle of the meeting. And so the disciples do their job and stop the kids. And what does Jesus say? Let the little children come to me. How many of you learned that scripture in the King James? How many of you grew up with the King James? Did it freak you out? Because the King James says, suffer the little children to come to me. <laughs> And if you didn't understand Old English, you're like, suffer the little children. That sounds like a metal album. That sounds terrible. <laughs> suffer the little. But he's saying, allow the kids to come to me, for this is the kingdom of heaven. There's a moment where he's at Simon the Pharisee's house, and this woman comes, and she breaks an expensive bottle of perfume, and she begins to anoint his feet, and, and, and she's weeping because she's, he's been, Jesus has been greatly shamed in this house. They've treated him terribly, and she's weeping over him, and, and, and everybody's worried that, first of all, that, that perfume was expensive. It could have been used for our programs, yeah. and Jesus is like, this is what's supposed to happen. Yeah. It wasn't scheduled. She wasn't invited. There's a mess on the floor because worship can be messy. The things of God can be messy. And when we're afraid, they're not messy to him. That's the thing. He's not messy. But sometimes when we're not used to his way and we're still stuck in the world's way, his ways seem messy because they're contrary to us. Right? I had a friend who said, I, I came from a church that preached against you guys. And I was like, oh, gee, thanks for telling me that now. He's like, it's okay, I like you now. But he said, he said, we used to talk about you guys, and we used to say, God doesn't move that way because God is a God of order. I don't know what we were doing that was so crazy, it was swinging from the fans, I guess. But... He said, it seemed chaotic, you know, somebody's got a word from God or, you know, that we're laying hands on people and they might fall down or whatever. You know, God is a God of order. And I said to him, you know, can you imagine if we just stuck you on a football field in the middle of a play and you didn't know the play, you're just standing in the field? I said, it would seem like chaos. One guy running this way, another guy running this way, another guy blocking. It would seem like absolute chaos and disorder. But the coach laid that play out with his X's and O's. And each one of those players is running up. They're running a play. They know what they're doing. There's an order to it. See, when we're led by the Spirit, we're still being led. Yes. We're not in a, there, is a, there is a rebellious spirit that says, I'll do what I want. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being led by the Spirit. Right. God's got order. Yes. 
But it doesn't look like order until you get on his page, right? It looks like disorder. You see, the order of kids coming to Jesus was it was. They needed, he, they need, the, the, the people that were listening needed to see that this was the kingdom of heaven, that Jesus had a blessing for those kids. That woman coming in to, the, to that uh, Simon's house and anointing his feet, she was preparing him for his burial and resurrection. She was showing him honor when he was being dishonored. God had order in that. That's why it made it into our Bible because it was for us. It was so in order that it stood the test of 2,000 years of being in our book that we're, we're still to this day, we're learning something from it. One more story real quick. And this is found, if you want to write it down, in Luke chapter 5. You guys know this story, a lot of you. Jesus is preaching and the crowds keep pressing up. Anybody been to a concert where, you know, you kept getting pressed against the stage? <laughs> Some of you are like, that's not of God. <laughs> Godly concerts don't have that happen. I've been in concerts like that. I remember being at one in Baltimore, and Matthew and I, my brother-in-law, he wasn't my brother then, but we were at this concert in Christian band, don't worry. And... <laughs> But they were rocking out. Anyways, we, uh, we were at the front of this place. And, and, and uh, you could tell some youth groups had come. But it wasn't a place that normally had youth groups, if I can say that. Like it was, it was not a venue that, that they would have normally been at. So they didn't know where to sit. or There, weren't, there were no chairs. And youth leaders are always looking for chairs so they can park their kids and know where they are. But instead, there was just like just people standing there. And I remember there's like two little like 12-year-old girls that were rushing the front. And they pushed their way to the front. And if you'd been to a concert like this, you know that's a bad idea. Because what's going to happen is the crowd's going to keep pressing and pressing and pressing. So Matthew and I, instead of enjoying the music, we spent our whole time trying to hold the crowd behind us back. Because these little girls are getting crushed against the stage. So you can imagine Jesus is preaching and the crowd just wants to be near him, right? Because they know he's got power, so they want to touch him. They want to get all in his business, right? So they're up. So finally, he just borrows a boat. Because as desperate as they are, maybe they don't want to get wet. And he gets in the boat. <laughs> can you imagine like a disciple just putting the oar on your head and saying, eh, back, and pushing the back. Pushing the boat back. And Jesus just preaches the rest of his message on Peter's boat. Now, Peter's been fishing all night. Any of you stayed up all night and just said, you know what I want to do? Church. I want to go to church. <laughs> I stayed up all night. I want to go to church. Peter's been fishing all night. He's still got to clean his nets. So he's compromising. He's cleaning while he's listening. And Jesus says, can I borrow this boat? And he goes, yeah, okay. So they take him out a little way. He begins to preach. And then when he's done, I'm sure Peter wants to sleep, man. He's been up all night. Great message. But church is over. Let's get this wrapped up. Ushers, get people out. Let's lock the doors. Set the security system. Let's get out. So he wants to go home. And Jesus says, let's go for a catch. <laughs> Petey's like, you know, you're a construction worker. I get that you don't understand our business. <laughs> But it's the middle of the day, and fish aren't biting. They weren't biting at the best time. They're certainly not biting in the hot Middle Eastern sun. Then Jesus says, take me to the deepest place, which in that particular sea, every expert I've ever read says, that's the worst place to catch fish. 
There's places where the oxygen is coming from the fresh water, and that's the place where the fish seem to pop up. And, and that's the place you should take Jesus. But no, he wants to go right to the middle. I'm tired. I'm sleepy. Take me to the middle. Peter is not yet a disciple of Jesus Christ. He's just a guy who's heard a couple messages. Jesus says, take me out. Let's go for a catch. He doesn't say, let's go fishing. He says, let's go for a catch. See, Jesus knows what's going to happen. Let's go for a catch. And when he does, of course, you, may, you probably know the story. They put their nets out. Peter's like, see, I told you. Jesus says, try the other side. And Peter's like, that's not how fish work. <laughs> you know? Like, they're really biting on this side. Nobody on this side. There's like, Jesus, there's like five meters different or whatever. I don't know. There's not a big difference here. And he says, just trust me. So they toss it on the other side. And of course, you guys know, their nets are full. Their nets begin to break. Didn't properly clean them. Stuff's happening. And they actually need help to bring all the fish in. Peter falls on his, on his knees and says, repent. So I'm a, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. All of that. But what's cool is, is that Jesus uses that. And he tells him, Peter, from now on, you're going to be catching men. You're going to be catching people like this. He doesn't say, you know, we always grew up hearing you're going to be fishers of men. But if you look at the original language, it says you'll be catching. You're not just going to be sitting there with a cane pole. Because that's how I used to, we used to have a song in children's church. I will make you fishers of men. And we did the casting motion like we're going to bring in one at a time. But Peter just saw what Jesus meant. Jesus just saw in the picture he wanted to have in his head of throwing a net over and it being so full they couldn't contain it. That's the kind of catching you're going to have, Peter. Now here's what happened. Peter wasn't planning on coming to church that day. The kingdom borrowed his business boat. And then the kingdom hijacked his business boat and messed with his work. And the kingdom invaded his workplace. Listen, his workplace is that boat. That's his, that's his domain. And, and, and a lot of times our work is our work and our family is our family and our church life is our church life and we have these nice boundaries and God wants to break every one of those boundaries down so that his kingdom can invade these places and you'll expect him in these places. And so here, a kingdom comes fishing with Peter, comes on his business boat, comes in his workplace and totally messes with everything in a good way. Can you imagine how the Galilee fishing industry was affected by that one catch? Can you imagine being in the market that day? They just flooded the market with fish. I mean, these are the guys. These guys never catch anything. Then all of a sudden, I mean, think about most of the time we see Peter talk to Jesus about fishing. Most of the time, he's like, we didn't catch anything. I don't know how good he was. <laughs> but he's sure got a lot of stories of not catching something. <laughs> so can you imagine, like, the guys are like, yeah, it's Peter and Andrew and John and those guys. And they're coming back to fish market. And they're struggling to get all the fish there. Jesus just totally invaded the economy. He totally shifted everything. And then, he, then they leave their boats right after that. They leave their work. They quit their job right after the best day they've ever had. So here's what I'm trying to say. I believe the kingdom of God is meant to invade business. It's meant to invade the city. It's meant to invade Canada. And every time we hear that, we try to change it. Because we, we taste kingdom power. and We taste what it's like for God to work. 
And then we see for a moment that we can grab some earthly power and put a Christian sticker on it. And that's what we want. You know, we, we want all our guys to get elected or we want all this, you know, and that's fine and good, but that may not be the way God's doing it. His kingdom is not of this world. So it may not always happen the way you would wish it would happen. You want God's ways to work just like the world's ways work, but they don't always. And when the kingdom invaded Peter's boat, Peter was forever changed. And I guarantee there were a lot of people in Galilee that were changed. So much so, so much so, that by the time Jesus was arrested, a Galilean accent was associated with Jesus. If you're from that part of the world, you must be with Jesus because that part of the country was so changed by the presence of God. You had an accent from that region. They're like, you must be one of Jesus' guys. That's how affected they were. I know we've been all over the place this morning. But I'd like to encourage you to expect God, and we've said this before, it's not the first time you're hearing me say this, but expect God in places you don't usually expect him. Let him get into your business. Let him get into your spare time. Stop. Don't worry about your tasks so much that you stop God from doing what he wants to do through you. Let's, let's, let's knock down the walls that we've put around the kingdom. Let's knock down the boundaries that we've placed around it so that it can invade all these other spaces. Because there have been walls put up by the world to keep the kingdom in. Those walls can't hold the kingdom. And you're gonna, it, here's what's, what's funny about it is the world, like I said, the world system is a rhythm. It has a rhythm to it. And everybody's in that rhythm. And when you live in the world long enough, and we all have, you get into their rhythm of working for the weekend, working for retirement, doing this, doing that. There's a rhythm to it. And when God's kingdom comes, he's got a totally different rhythm. And so it's going to feel a little disorienting for a bit when you really just engage. Because you won't it won't make sense. It'll feel weird at work. It'll feel weird at home because all of a sudden you're on a different system altogether. You're being led by the spirit of God. The presence of God is going with you. The kingdom of God is advancing through you. There's, there's this, there's this um, uh, look that people give you. Just like Jesus told Nicodemus, he says, those that are led by the spirit, he said, these are, these are, those that are the sons of God, they're, they're blown by the spirit of God. He goes, you don't know where they came from and you don't know where they're going. I don't know if you've noticed, but people don't feel comfortable when they don't know where you came from and they don't know where you're going. That's why your uncle always asks you what your five-year plan is. <laughs> I want to know. Where'd you come from? Where are you going? And when they don't know why you're doing what you're doing, that's, that's a little weird for a minute. But it's good. Because we need to be shaken up a little bit. You know, the scripture talks about everything that can be shaken in this time of God's moving. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But we have an unshakable kingdom. So there's a shaking going on in Canada. And uh, for many people, that shaking is disorienting. For many people, that shaking is discomforting. But for us that are born of the kingdom of God, there is nothing you need to fear because the shaking can't shake you. The shaking can't shake the unshakable kingdom. So we've got to be of a different, different lifestyle, a different way. And I want you to expect Jesus in the, in the times where it's inconvenient. 
I had a young man that I, in Spokane, he was talking about, uh, he, he hadn't been safe for very long. He owned this coffee shop, really cool place. But he talked about how he knew people loved him. He experienced the love of God through the people of God. And he knew people loved him when it was inconvenient for them to love him. That's how he knew it was real. He learned that he was really inconvenient for people when he first got saved. Anybody been there? He said, I knew they loved me because love is inconvenient. The best things in life are inconvenient. The best things in life that God has for you are going to show up when your head's up. Your head's up, your stick is on the ice, and you're ready for a pass. When you look at that guy at the gas station, you go, that guy needs Jesus. When you look at that person in the airport who's obviously in pain, and you know all you got to do is ask. But you don't want to be the weirdo. But the kingdom is here, and it's advancing, and his peace goes with you. And all you got to say is, peace be, peace be upon you. There's something so powerful about Jesus sending normal people out and saying, walk into that city and change it. Tell them the kingdom of God came to them. And I know the kingdom of God is coming near to some people that didn't have any intention of coming near to the kingdom. And I just thank God that we're in a position today as a, as a group of people to be used by God in unexpected ways. We're going to take communion.